Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in each of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So as we have mentioned, it is Epiphany Sunday in the life of the church. Epiphany comes from the Greek word meaning manifest or to show, to reveal. And it's a day that brings to close the 12 days of Christmas that we often sing about during Advent. Those 12 days begin on Christmas Day when Christians celebrate the nativity of Jesus Christ and come to an end today when we celebrate the revealing of Jesus as God's Messiah, the one who was to come and live and love among us. And the Bible story we most associate with this day is the one we heard from the Gospel of Matthew, the story of the wise ones who came from the east, from foreign lands, also called the Magi. The term Magi comes from the Greek word for priests of the Zoroastrian religion. And Zoroastrianism was the official religion of Persia during those days. And it's still one of, the, it's one of the oldest religions and it is actually still active today in that region. The, these, these people who came may have been given the title wise for their gifts of being able to interpret dreams and understanding astrology. They were considered the scholars of their day. And we look at the story today and we get to experience some of the gifts that they brought, that they received, and that we receive through them still today. First, we know that they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold symbolizing the royalty of this Christ child in God's realm, God's kingdom. Frankincense representing the holiness of this child that God has sent into the world, and myrrh representing the sacrificial healing work that would become all of Jesus' ministry here on earth. But the the Magi themselves, as they gave their gifts with honor and joy, received a big gift in return through God's epiphany, what God showed them through this child Jesus. As they devoted him, devoted to him on their knees, their hearts and minds were opened by the light of God. And they had a new understanding of their belonging to something bigger than themselves, bigger than their wisdom, bigger than that star that led them all the way to Bethlehem, much bigger than all the stars combined. They had the epiphany of the knowledge of their inclusion in God's realm, or God's big picture, as theologian Richard Rohr likes to call the kingdom of God. And in that moment, they knew they were part of God's beloved human family. And why is this so important in the biblical witness? Because we're told that the Christ child would come from the house of David, from the people Israel, God's chosen, the Jewish nation. So these foreigners from the east come, not knowing what they're even looking for, why are they even following this star, not knowing what they would find. 
And they realize that though they are Gentiles, not part of the covenant people, God says, yes, you are. You belong to my human family. The Magi give us gifts as well. These unexpected messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, through them God reveals our own belonging to God's family, to the big picture, to God's big plans for our hope, that God created us to love and to give away that love in service as we seek to follow Jesus, our teacher, who shows us how. The message of epiphany is clear if we have eyes to see that in God's realm, everyone and everything belongs. No one is left out. No one's left behind or excluded or deemed unworthy or incorrect or too bad or too badly broken. I had the joy of traveling home last weekend to visit my family. And the cardinal rule of holiday time with families was broken. Politics came up. I was quickly reminded that we are a family divided, right down half-half. And we're talking two extremes. One person uttered what for some of us was a loaded word, and then someone else uttered another one, and then I found myself chiming in. And because my family is not fond of conflict, verbal or any other kind, my dad, in good humor, said, look at the raccoon on the bird feeder. <laughs> to which I know we all gave a sigh of relief. Though I confess I was still not laughing. And I got in touch with my own ego and my own judgment and righteous indignation. And it dawns on me that what, the conflict that we experience Whatever's in my heart is what I give to the world in any given moment. Life, religion, family, work, and all those areas that we all experience, we may encounter people who we think are doing it wrong, whatever it is. And therefore, perhaps we think they should not be included or not be heard or given voice because they're not doing it right. So I realized at the, the root of my own feelings of angst and discomfort in that very brief encounter with my family was the human need for belonging and our fear that we might not, which is really to say there's a fear of being separated from love. So I was reminded of this fear that might be deep inside of me during that experience with my family. And then someone said, does anyone want to play cards? And I said, yes! And for my family around the euchre table, all is well in the world. So we were fine. That experience for me also brought me to a teaching I recently read from one of my spiritual teachers, Richard Rohr, on contemplation. And that's a very churchy spiritual word for some of us. And I'm going to help unpack that for us as we go along here. But Richard Rohr says that if we do not have a contemplative practice or spend time in contemplation, that we might have all the social justice and good intentions 
to do God's justice in the world that we want. But if we do not lead from love, I and others will lead from self-centered, ego-driven anger, and we may very well become the tyrants tomorrow that we revolt against today. We may very well become those unacceptable people that we deem who don't belong or should be excluded today. So I will be driven by fear and not by love because I won't come from my friendship with God. I will come and operate from what the world tells me I should be and do. Thinking about the difference between leading from love and leading from fear took me back to the story of the Magi today. We meet King Herod in this story. He is clearly a non-contemplative. His reaction to the news that a king of the Jews has been born immediately is fear and hatred. And we'll see later in chapter 2 of Matthew that he has plans that are deadly for this newborn king of the Jews. But then we look at the Magi and see another gift that they give us in this story. They don't lead from fear. Their, their experience with this star and the news of this king in a foreign land is joy and eager anticipation. They are contemplatives based on their behavior. Contemplation, I like to call friendship with God. And it's the spiritual practice of cultivating that friendship, just like we do with our our flesh and bone human friends and family members here. And to do that, we have to spend time with this friend called God. And when we do this, we change from the inside out. We no longer will operate like Herod out of some fear of not being loved or of being excluded. We will operate as the Magi with hope, trusting that we belong to some big picture. So what is contemplative prayer, and why does it matter? Sister Rebecca Sheenas, a teacher of contemplative prayer, which is also called centering prayer, reminds us that when we get still and be quiet to come into God's presence, we cultivate a joy beyond our understanding. There's no substitute for getting still and being quiet to nurture this friendship with God. And we come into a divine union and a communion that we are all designed to embrace and to live out each day. Sister Rebecca shares the story of a young dad of three young children on a camping trip. He and his wife were camping with their kids, and dad took their three kids in a boat on the small lake at the campsite, took them out into the lake to another part of the shore, and got out and took each child and showed them a rock and placed them on top of the rock, all apart from one another, to just sit for a while. And then he went off a little distance and let them just be. When he got back to the campsite, his wife, who had been observing all of this, from her shore, said, what were you doing? And he explained that he wanted to give each of his gifts, his kids the gift of solitude, 
a chance to just be alone for a while, to just sit in silence and be. This man was teaching his kids early about contemplation, about being alone with God. We're so designed for this that when we start practicing it, like any muscle, it becomes stronger and it feels as natural in time as the very air we breathe, which is also God's very breath. You may think that you cannot do this, to get still and to be quiet. So many of us have chatter in our heads, like a ticker tape of the, ex- the stock exchange, just rolling thought after thought after thought. Well, contemplation is not about emptying your mind completely. And I'll talk more about some, some practices that can help us in this journey to become contemplatives. Father Thomas Keating is perhaps the most spiritual, the largest master of this process of centering prayer, as he calls it. And when we get quiet and come into God's presence, it's not that we let God in to our hearts, minds, and lives, but that we let God out. God lives in our heart. Some would call it our heart cave. And imagine a zipper or buttons or fancy bows or snaps on your heart, whatever works for you. In contemplation, we're invited to unzip that heart, to open our heart and simply let God out and to allow God's loving gaze and to allow God to change our hearts and minds toward the journey of love. The world will teach us quite contrarily. The world's ways will lead us to more busyness, more distractions away from God's path, more worrisome striving, leading to to weariness, if not outright exhaustion, of body, mind, and spirit, of sleepless nights. And all of that kind of living is fueled from fear. Fear of not belonging or fitting in or not being enough or getting enough or fear of losing things we already have. And again, the fruits of contemplation, quite the contrary, love and peace. Some of us have tried this practice and it's not comfortable or we feel like we don't know how. But even if we get still for 30 seconds or 5 minutes or 20 minutes, something can shift inside of us. And Sister Rebecca shares that a good way to enter into this contemplation is to choose a word that's meaningful to you. Just a word. It could be love, peace, or whatever you call your God. It could be mother, father. It could be surrender. Whatever is meaningful to you. And simply with your breath, breathe that word softly, slowly, over and over. This is contemplation. And when thoughts come in, she says, don't call those thoughts distractions. They're not bad. Our minds are designed to think. But she says, rather, think of those thoughts as pearls to come back to later on in the day. And just talk to God about them. And ask God to show you What does that thought mean or what insight God would have you know in that thought that kept coming back? And imagine that every time you're distracted or led away by a pearl, a thought, 
It's another opportunity to come back to God. And how delighted is God that if we have to return to God a thousand times, God is so happy every time. It's kind of like leaving your dog for five minutes or 20 years. The dog thinks you've been gone forever and is always delighted when you come back. When we let God out of our hearts, when we finish our contemplative practice, no matter how long it is, we walk back into our usual life, our kitchen, making peanut butter sandwiches for our kids, helping them with homework, going to work and interacting with our colleagues, or serving however we might serve in the world. When we come out of our breath time with God, we we enter the world with God still on our breath. And that changes us and changes things around us. The wise men, the magi, after encountering Jesus, were overwhelmed with joy because they had God's eyes and heart. And they were warned in a dream about King Herod's deadly plans. And so they were warned that they should return to their homes by a different way. They were not only changed on the outside, but the inside. How they got home was a different route, but how their hearts went home was different as well. And for us too, God changes us. When we have our encounters with the divine, with the Christ child, with God our friend, we cannot remain the same and we too will go home or go back out into the world by a different way in a different way altogether and as we let God out of our heart the treasure that becomes our heart is we get God's vision when we look in the mirror we see the image of God when we look at anyone we see in all creation we see God's loving image Just as a swimmer or a skier or a snowboarder or a pilot uses special goggles to follow their vocational path, as God's children, in contemplation, we are given special goggles. I call them goggles. And we no longer look at the world the same. We will have a true treasure to share. And we will lead not from fear, that sucks life out of us, but from love that gives life and hope and peace and joy. Thanks be to God. Amen.